ask you as, as we're leading into this in, uh, as an intro, you can go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter 3 because that's where we're going to start. It's not where we're going to finish, but it's where we're going to start. But as I talk about that, I, I, you know, we, we have a lot of things in our lives that we are. Um, as, as you know already, I'm a pastor. As you know already, I'm a husband. I'm a father, uh, a little bit of a hobby farmer. Um, I also run a small business, an industrial supply business that I've ran for some 15 years, I guess, a family-owned business. And so uh, I'm, I'm a basketball coach, uh, coach my daughter's high school basketball team. And, and so there, there's a lot of things that I am, you know, and, and I think we could all say that when you start thinking about who we are. And as I introduce myself to you, it starts with, you know, what do I do? Who am I? And, and, and we all do that, don't we? And so when you're introducing yourself and, and, and you get to know someone, it, it automatically begins with, and I know this is really specific to, to, to me, it automatically begins with what do you do? And uh, we all place our identity in maybe what we do or, or where we work or whether or not we're uh, married or we have kids and all of those things kind of put together who we are. And, and so today what I want to talk about as we transition into what the Word's going to teach us is that it is very important for us to recognize who we are, that we recognize what makes us us, what makes you who you are. And there are a lot of things that can do that. Like I said, as we look at maybe it's location. You guys live here in, in Huntsville and there's, a, there's, a, you know, there's an aura about Huntsville. When you tell somebody that you're from Huntsville, immediately you get questions about that, right? And so anytime that we go somewhere, there's a location. Of course, there's, there's the location of, of, of where we are in, in, in the good deep south here. And I know some of you may not be from here, but once you move here, you know that there's that location of where you are that can say who you are. Uh, and then there's also those things that I mentioned, our work. Maybe you're a nurse or a teacher or, or a construction worker or an engineer or whatever it is, and those things often define who you are. Maybe it's school. Maybe you're a college student or a high school student or an elementary student, and those things define many times who we are. Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe you're a golfer or a fisherman or whatever else hobbies there are. But there, there's hobbies that define you and say who you are. Maybe the things that define you could be negative. Maybe you're hurt, stuck, broken. And, and, and those things maybe put a, a, a definition of who I am. Maybe it's stressed or overwhelmed. You ever want to introduce yourself that way sometimes when somebody says, you know, what, what can I know about you? Well, I'm stressed. Hi, how to, uh, nice to meet you, you know. Those are, those are things that define who we are. Those are things that define what we do. And, and maybe your identity lies in some deep struggles. Maybe I'm an addict. Maybe I'm a liar. Maybe I'm a thief. They're not always positive things that we look at that define us, but there's often times that we can look outside and see what's coming into our lives that define us and make us who we are, and we rest and recognize even ourselves as that. And Others also maybe recognize us as that. So today what I, I want to do, my point is, we could do that all day to think about those kind of things, but today my point is, and what I want us to see as we open up God's Word, is I want to take a little quest and a little venture here to understand who I really am. Who are you? Outside of the things in this world that can change, who are you? Because we know that who I am and who you are really makes up what you do. It, it, it can affect where you eat. It can affect what you eat. It can affect where you go, what you do. It can affect how you act in certain situations. All of those things are affected by our identity. And so as we recognize today who we are, the key is to find an identity in something that doesn't change. See, I can find identity in all of those things that I just mentioned, but you know as well as I do, my job can change, right? 
Not only can your job change, your location can change. Your job can change, your location can change. And, and, and then let me even go to this. Many times even our family status can change, right? You know, you, you may be a mother for the rest of your life, but it may look different. You may be a son to an awesome father. But there's coming a day that will change. There are things in our lives that we can look at that are absolutely constant in the moment. But when we look back over the years, even those constant things change. So if we base our life and our identity and we recognize who we are based on all of those things that we find here, temporal and earthly, we'll be disappointed at some point in time. There'll be a time when we go, what do I do now? Where do I find myself in this moment? And that's what I want us to look at today because we have the greatest example that we could ever have on learning and understanding what our identity is. So in Matthew chapter 3, let me pray for us and then we'll get into it. God, we love you. Lord, I thank you for all that you do for us. I thank you for the ability that we have to come together today. I thank you, God, that as we sit here and as we open your word, you desire to meet with us. God, I'm so thankful for this church and the pastor. God, I'm thankful that he's my friend. And I'm thankful, God, that you have put together this church body with a desire to worship and glorify your name. Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning to comfort those who need comforting. I pray that you would challenge us, God, all with your word. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts to be in line with what your will is. We love you, we praise you, and we'll give you all the glory and the honor. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus went... Uh, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This passage is a familiar passage in the church. It's one that we use all the time that we can see Jesus being baptized by John, and, and I, I've got to say that this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because we see an incredible thing in this that I, that I believe can be instrumental in giving us focus, direction, and, and a mission in our lives. And that is that we understand who God thinks we are, who God believes that we are, and we can learn that through the way that he deals with his son. And we get a picture and a an unbelievable picture of a father-son relationship that we don't get here on this earth. And I I want you to notice something about this as, as we get into it. Verse 16 is a powerful verse. It says this, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. That phrase, the heavens were opened unto him, is a very unique phrase in Scripture. It's only used a few times. There's a couple of times it says the windows of heaven are open. But the phrase the heavens were opened or the heaven is open is only used in five instances. And one time, and it's used here, and it's used here to to reveal God's glory. And it's always used to reveal God's glory. But in this instance, it's used to reveal His glory through a reconciling Savior. They're a reconciling Savior, and I'm going to share this with you. I've got a few notes here because uh, your pastor is an incredible note guy. You guys know this, right? I'm not so much. Y'all did hear where I was from, right? Uh, but this is, this is my attempt to, uh, to be a note guy. I want to give you this. This is, this is good stuff. This might be the best stuff I've ever come up with, so... It, <laughs> I asked Jay one time, I said, how do you make all the words have the same, how do you do that? 
And, uh, but no, he's great with that. So, so here we see that God, God is revealing his glory through a reconciling Savior. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, we see God revealing glory through a remarkable visions. And if you read this in Ezekiel 1, 1, now it came to pass in the 13th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of, of the month, as I, this is Ezekiel, was among the captives by the river of Kabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And if you study that out, we see that it was incredible, remarkable vision of God's glory. Uh, matter of fact, when Ezekiel gets up to the throne of God, where God was sitting on the throne, he, he couldn't even describe it. It was just the glory of God. And, and, and God gave us that in that moment. Another time when he shows us his glory and when he opens heaven again, he's revealing his glory again and he's revealing his Glory through a reigning kingdom. It's Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 56. It says, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, this is talking about Stephen, while he's being martyred, right as he looks up towards heaven, he sees the reigning king about to come for his reigning kingdom. And I know you guys know this. In Acts chapter 7, in this moment, Jesus is standing when, he looks, when Stephen looks up at him and he's standing to come back for his kingdom if the people would just accept him right there. And so the glory of God rolls back in this heaven being opened so that we can see the reigning kingdom. Another time in the book of Acts, revealing glory through a reunited church, Peter has this vision of this sheet that comes down and this sheet that, that, that God uses to show Peter that all of his creation will be reunited. And it will be reunited through the church that he is about to establish through the ministry of Paul. It says in verse 11, And saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This is a big deal to God when he opens heaven is to show us his glory and that is the glory of the coming church that we live in today the last time that we see God reveal his glory by opening up heaven is in the book of Revelation in Revelation 19 11, revealing glory through a righteous judge it says in verse 11 and I saw heaven opened this is John I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and a righteousness he doeth judge and make war. This is Jesus in all of his glory coming back as this righteous judge. And every time we see the heavens opened, we see God revealing his glory. And why that's important as we go back to the book of Matthew is that we need to understand the gravity of what God is doing in this moment. It's not something that he takes lightly to open heaven. It's not something that he takes lightly to speak into the life of, yes, God the, Father, God the Son as Jesus, but also fully human Jesus. And as God is speaking to this Jesus in the flesh, he's doing this so that he can show us a picture of the relationship between Father and Son of the relationship that God desires for us to, to get and to understand. And in that, we see something that I don't think is explainable, but we see a power that's given to Jesus as a human. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it goes so deep. Because we know that when, when Jesus was here, he's fully God and fully flesh, fully human, and, 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 and to have that speaking into him was vital in that moment. And you may ask, why was that vital? Well, because he had a life to live. Now, Jesus was given the, the mission to do something when he got here. He, he wasn't just coming 
But he came with a mission, with a purpose, with things that he needed to do. And, and it didn't just go great. You, you ever been given a mission and, and, and you, you think, this is what I need to do, the calling on your life, and this is where I need to go, and, and this is what God is, is teaching me, this is how he wants me to live, and, and everything just went as smooth as it could possibly go, doesn't it? Isn't that how it works? That's why I came here this morning, because I was hoping that's how it worked over here. Is that not how it works over here? No, it doesn't work that way, right? So there would be things that popped up in the ministry and in the life of Jesus that he needed to remember and recognize who he was to his father. Who he was while he was here on this earth to his father. And, and, and this is incredible. I want you to, to walk through this with me because we're going to see several places where Jesus needed to remember where his identity laid. And the first thing we see is immediately when Jesus, this happens in, in chapter 3, verse 17. And, and, and let me just remind you of the verse to where we can get it so we can go from here. This is the last thing that we see in, verse, uh, in chapter 3 before we go to the public ministry of Jesus. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what the Father says about Jesus. And as we go into the very next verse, we see that Jesus goes out into the wilderness. Immediately in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, we see Jesus' identity in who he is from his Father God, his identity being tempted. In Matthew 4, 11, we see this temptation happen. It says, Then was Jesus led up in the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus saith unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The kingdoms, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then the devil leaveth him. And behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. See, Satan tempted Jesus with worldly success. He brought to him a desire or a, a, a temptation to desire worldly success. He brought before him many things that he could use. Food, right? Jesus had been uh, fasting for 40 days and Satan said, hey, you're hungry. Here's stones. Make them into something you need. You can do that. That was his temptation for him to, to, to fulfill his, his, his flesh in that moment. To get something that he wanted. To get something that even we would say he needed. But in that, he set that aside. The next thing is, is, is he tempted him with safety. He tempted him with the safety from the angels. What does it say? He said, he said listen, it, it's, it's written... You, the angels will come and save you so you don't stub your toe on the rock. That's how safe you're going to be, Jesus. Just cast yourself off of this. Man, safety. Buddy, that speaks in today's world, doesn't it? He's tempted with safety. And then the last thing that he's tempted with is he's tempted with wealth. What does Satan say? He says, it's all yours. It will all be yours. The wealth of this world, Jesus, it can all be yours. And so here we see in the face of temptation, the way that Jesus responds is because he knows his identity and he knows who he is. 
And he says in verse 10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. How powerful it is to see Jesus in the face of temptation understand and recognize who he is. And recognize in that moment the power that he has in doing the mission and the work that he is called to. We go on deeper and we see Jesus' identity displayed while he was accused. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 23 through 28, and all the people were amazed. This is when Jesus goes and, and, and he is, he's teaching. And it says, all the people were amazed and said, is this not the son of David? They've heard him teach and they think, oh, this is the son of David. This is him. This is the Messiah. But... But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow, this fellow, doeth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I be by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they say, uh, therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Jesus did not get his identity from his critics. He didn't get his identity from those that accused him. He got his identity from God the Father. He got his identity from who he was. And I love this. Notice that Jesus didn't stop the ministry. Just because he was accused, just because he was doubted, just because those said, ah, that's not the son of David, that's some fellow, he didn't stop. He continued and he continued. And all he did is he didn't, he didn't, he didn't stand up and, and beat his chest and, 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 and start making a riot. No, he said, if I was really of Beelzebub, then I couldn't, pass, I couldn't cast out demons. Think about this. His, his defense was not set up on, I'm going to squash you. It was set up on, this is who I am. My identity is with God. Powerful, powerful things. But even Jesus' identity was displayed while he was frustrated. Yeah. You ever get frustrated? His identity was displayed while he was frustrated. In Mark chapter 6, he goes back to his hometown. That can frustrate you. He goes back to his hometown and he begins to preach. It says, and, and he went out from thence and came into his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished. They were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simeon and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin, in his own house. Catch this in verse 5. And he could there do no mighty works, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around about the villages teaching. I, I, I feel that frustration from Jesus. As, as a child of God, you, you know how much your family means to you. Those that you know and you love, see that from Jesus. He goes back. I, I can even, even Jesus knowing that, that they're going to reject him, I can imagine that he was so excited to go back to his own home and to teach the things of God. And they said, hey, this is, this is 
the carpenter's boy. What's he doing? Frustration. But he didn't stop. It says, and he went round about the villages. In frustration? No, no, no. Teaching. Teaching. Continuing the work and the ministry and the calling that was on his life did not stop because he was rejected. It did not stop because frustration came. He continued in the work that he had been given to do. His identity was also displayed when he was devastated. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 through 14, we see the devastating news of the death of the friend of Jesus, John the Baptist. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he... And and when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted, counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before him and pleased Herod. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John the Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat he commanded it to be given her and he sent and beheaded John in prison and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel and she brought it to her mother and his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus when Jesus heard of it he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Jesus was introduced by John. His public ministry began as John the Baptist introduced him to come forward. And here in this moment, in a moment of devastation, in a moment of death, in a moment where things changed, Jesus continued to minister. He wasn't held by that. His identity didn't fall in devastation. His identity fell in who he was and what God the Father said about him. I love that in verse 14. He saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion. We see the ministry of Jesus constant, consistent, confirmed, By his father. We see it on display when he was betrayed. In John chapter 18, verses 3 through 11, we see Jesus being betrayed in in the garden, betrayed by one of his disciples, his follower, Judas. And even in the moment of betrayal, Jesus continued to know who he was and to know what his mission was and to know what his calling was. And he walked through it. John 18, 3 through 11 says, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon, uh, as soon then, as, as, he, as he said unto them, I am he, that they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I've told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servants, servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath, the cup which my father hath given me. Shall I not drink? We see Jesus in the moment of betrayal submitting to what his calling was continuing the mission that he was on. 
Betrayal didn't stop that. Betrayal didn't change that. Betrayal didn't move that out a little bit farther. In the moment of betrayal, he said, Peter, put up the sword. I got work to do. This is how it's supposed to be. We see it on display when he was hated. Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 15 says, Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them, that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved to the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, will thou, What will thou, or I'm sorry, what will ye then that I shall do unto him who ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate willingly consent to the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Jesus hated Hated by the people that he came to save. Hated by the people that had been prophesied to about him. About his coming and over and over fulfilled. And they hated him. And in the face of hatred, Jesus didn't find his identity there. In the face of hatred, he found his identity in who he was there to glorify, which was his Father. Amen? I want us to get this this morning, and I want to remind you again as we take this and we place it now on our own lives. What does this mean to you? What does this mean to me? Check out that verse again in Matthew 3, Matthew three seventeen, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. See, when God said that about Jesus at his baptism, it didn't stop there. God continued to recognize his son. I want you to know this morning that your identity too can be consistent and firm and never changing. Because you too will face the things that Jesus faced. I will face the things that Jesus faced. But let, us, let me remind us too, we also have a calling. We also have a mission. We also have a purpose. And if we place our identity in any of those changing things, we will find ourselves in a moment questioning God. So I'll ask you this. Is your identity found in your quest for worldly gain? Is your identity found in defending yourself? Is it found in fighting for your right? Is it found in your location, your family, your friends? Is it found in the fact that you are American first and Christian second? Is it found in devastation? Have you let your struggles define you? <laughs> Have you let 2020 define you? Have you been defined by betrayal? Betrayal from family? Betrayal from the church even? 
Betrayal from friends? Has that defined you and made you who you are? Is that what you're holding to? Have you let the change that comes in your life send you down a spiral and take you off a path? Remember, God has given us a mission, a calling in our lives. Or maybe you've let the chance of the people define you. They're chanting today, aren't they? Our world has many things to say about hatred. Are we defined by that? Are we letting the, the masses determine where our identity lies? Are we letting the masses determine where I find who I am? Or are we being led and identified and recognized by our Father? I want to share just a short personal testimony. My father passed away a little over a year ago. And I'll get to that in a minute. But just to kind of lead up to that story so that you're not broken by it once it gets there. I grew up in a Christian home. I was saved at the age of seven. I was in church every week, constant there. As a teenager, I struggled with identity, as many do. I struggled with who I am. I'm the youngest of four boys and the largest by far. My dad was a sports guy, loved sports, loved football, loved basketball, loved those things, so I played them all. And from a young age, I was called his meal ticket. Some of you know what that means. Some of you are like, what? That's what I was called. All my brothers were gifted athletically, but I was the only one that had the size. I just wasn't as gifted as they were. But I was called his meal ticket. And that was my identity all through school. That's what I was going to be. That's what I was going to be. Well, there came a time when that ended. And it was obvious that that wasn't going to happen. And it was easy to place identity in that and that to be what I did. You go, you play ball, you do that. You work hard at it. You get better at it. That's my identity. Well, around the age of 18, when I realized that was no longer going to be a good identity, I began to try to find my identity in other places. And I did in a lot of places. I struggled with that for years. Married my wife when I was 21. I was 21. She was 19. We got married and tried to find identity in that. I went to work at a, at a corporate workplace, moved up the ladder really quick, made a lot of money as a young kid, way more than what I should have at the age I was. Tried to find identity in that. We had two little girls by the time I was 24. Tried to find identity in that. And then something happened, and it wrecked my life. My in-laws got divorced. And for me, it you know, I didn't think much about it. But my father-in-law was really my closest friend. We spent a massive amount of time together. And so as they're going through that, and I see on one side I've got my wife who is really having problems with her dad. And on the other side, I'm becoming who my wife has problems with. And I began to recognize that what I was building as an identity was starting to crash. And so one day, I'm on my way to work. I was working in Madison at the time, and Nikki and I passed by there last night of this little store that I don't know why it's still vacant, but it's been vacant for years and years on Highway 20. And I pulled off on the, into that parking lot. And as I began to think, what do I want to be? I thought ahead 20 years from that moment, and I thought, I want to be a good dad. I don't want my little girls to grow up and, 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 and to, to live their life with me and their mom together, and then that day comes when we no longer have anything in common, and, and we go our separate ways, and then there's resentment and all of this. And, and so that was my prayer. Something that I didn't do much was pray. 
And that was my prayer. And I asked the Lord, help me be a good dad. Help me know how to raise these little girls. And that was what God used to bring me to a place. Because he didn't leave me right there. God made it clear to me that I would never be the father that I wanted to be unless I was the husband that I needed to be. And in that moment of understanding that I had to be a better husband in order to be a better father, God revealed to me that I would never be the husband that I was supposed to be, in my mind, until I submitted my life to him. And so over the next year, God began to rip away things out of my life that had nothing to do with me being a dad, had nothing to do with me being a father, but had everything in the world to do with me being his son. And to follow him and to give my life to him and everything else would take care of itself. And so for years, that began to happen and That was in April of 2004, and my dad died last year of cancer, the ninth time, the ninth separate time he had cancer. He had cancer nine times from the time I was 12 years old until I was 41. And he passed away last year, but in 2005, he was in ICU for 27 days. We thought we were going to lose him. For a little over a year, I had began to just put my life into the Word of God and say, God, teach me, guide me. I, I, I don't even... I wasn't even focused at all about trying to be a good dad and a good husband. It was more about just following him. And in 2005, in October, I'm standing above my dad, and he's got tubes and everything running down his throat, and he can't really talk, and we thought he was gone. We thought this was it. He was writing on a a thing every once in a while just to tell us stuff, but I'm standing there over him. My mom's on one side, and I'm on the other side, and he looks up at me, and he says... I love you. I'm proud of you. You're a good daddy. And why he chose to say that, I know, was a gift from the Lord. Because in that moment, understanding that God had used me wanting to be a good daddy to help me understand that my identity was his son was to follow Jesus, truly follow him. And so God used that. My dad recovered miraculously. We had no idea. I wound up having 15 more years with my dad and was able to be his pastor for the last five years, four years of his life. But in that moment that my dad doesn't even remember, didn't remember, my heavenly father spoke to me. With those true words. Not that, not that I was a good dad. Not that I was a good husband. But that I was his son. And my identity can always be in that. My identity will never change from being a child of God the Father. Amen? No matter what else changes, no matter what comes our way, no matter the circumstances, no matter the trials, no matter the betrayal, no matter the wants of this world and the cares of tomorrow, I will always be able to be recognized as a child of God. And I pray today that you recognize recognize that. I pray today that you will recognize, maybe if you do not know that you are a child of God, that you need Him. Because without Him, recognize that you are unrighteous. Without Him, recognize that we're in need of Him. In Romans 3.10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one And recognizing that in ourselves is the place that takes us to the step of recognizing who we can be in the one that is righteous, Jesus. Because it says that when we accept him, we are now whole in him. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, what is it? He is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
See, we're a new creature in Him. We are whole in Him. We are complete in Him. He has made us into who He wants us to be. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, it tells us that we are no, now, therefore, you are no more strange, or you are, I'm sorry, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. See, that's who you are in Christ, making that decision to follow Him. Colossians 2.10, we're complete. 1 Corinthians 6.11, we're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, we are set apart. 1 Peter 1.5, we're kept. 1 Corinthians 6.17, we're one. Ephesians 3.16, we are made strong. Ephesians 2.6, we are seated in heavenly places. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, we are called. Romans 1.7, we are loved. Ephesians 6, we are equipped. Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors. In 1 Peter 1.23, we are born again. And get this, in 2 Timothy 2.19, we are His. So today, if you're searching for some sort of identity in this world that we live in today has got you just fuzzy let me tell you this word this word makes it clear this word makes it clear recognize Amen. That's good, brother. Let me, let me remind you, John chapter 1, verse 12, tells us how we can become a son of God. It, it tells us how we can be beloved. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that, that believe on his name. And, and Seth, God used Seth in a mighty way to help us understand that our identity can be in the one who never changes. God never changes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the way that we have identification with Christ and the way that we become a son of God is, is we receive Christ and we believe on his name. We, we have to believe on his name. We, we don't join a church and identify with Christ. That doesn't work. We don't get baptized and identify with Christ. It doesn't work that way. The, the way it works is that we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and, and, and you identify as a religious person or you identify as a Baptist or you identify as a certain denomination. And I want to encourage you to listen that is shifting sand. The, the, the true stone that doesn't shift or change is the person of Jesus Christ. And we have to identify in a right relationship with him through salvation. And so listen, if you're not saved, today you can be saved. Today you can believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the second thing for us that, that are saved, we, we need to recognize that everything else in this world will change. And I appreciate, man, that was... That was our, that was a wonderful message. Man, that was a really good message. Because the truth is, if you're saved, you're going to experience accusation. You're going to experience frustration. You're going to experience devastation, betrayal, and hatred. And, and let me just tell you, if you get serious about serving the Lord and getting faithful to the ministry, well, guess what? Those are the things that await you. And, and those are the things that all of a sudden can derail us from who we truly are in Christ. I mean, listen, let's just be honest. Most of those things have happened inside the four walls of a church to many of us. Most of those have happened to us while we tried to serve the Lord. We tried to be a witness. We committed to be discipled. <laughs> we signed up for a ministry. And all of a sudden, it got tough. And what, what challenged us from the world and from the system is the identity that we truly are in Christ. And, and man, I wrote down in my notes... Uh, I wrote down in, in my notes for me, not for you, but for me, when did I stop believing what God's word says about me? And, and that's what we always have to go back to, right? 
when we face difficulty, when we face challenges, when we face opposition, we look to, to Christ who is our example and we see that he, he walked in who he was in the Father in every situation, in every circumstance. And, and, and when we know what God's word says about us, faith in what God's word says about us is the, is the motivating factor that continues to drive us forward and help us to accomplish the mission. And so I, I just want to ask us to bow our heads and pray. We're not going to sing a song or anything, but I, but I would like us to, to just bow our heads and pray because there may be some of us in the room that would say, you know what, I identify in a lot, with a lot of religious things, but I can't identify with a personal relationship with Christ because I've never asked him to save me from my sin. If you're here today and you would say, Jay, I, I want to understand what that means. I want to understand what it means to have a right relationship with Christ and to identify with Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. I've never asked Jesus Christ to save me from my sin, but I want to believe that today, and I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. If that's you in the room, I want to ask you just to raise your hand. Nobody's going to come to you. No one will embarrass you at all. But if that's you today and you say, I want to understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ, raise your hand so I can pray for you. Maybe you're watching online, and, and, and that is you. You don't have to raise your hand, obviously, if you're watching online. But, but in your heart, please understand the Bible is very clear that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe that he's the Son of God, you believe that he died and was buried and rose again for your sin, and by faith you receive his atonement, his payment for your sin, the Bible says you can be forgiven. You can be saved. You can be born again. You can become a beloved son and a beloved daughter. And you can do that right now by faith. And, and, and again, second question is, listen, many of us that are, are watching and are in the room, we are saved. But man, some of us have forgotten who we are in Christ. We've forgotten what God's word says about us. We've forgotten the promises that God has made to us. We forgot that we are beloved and well-pleasing to the Father. And we've, and we've forgotten that we've got a ministry to accomplish. And listen, if we're in the room today, we need to be reminded that we need to get back on task because of who we are, because of who we are in Christ. And maybe you're here today and you say, Jay, okay, yeah, this one, this one hits me right between the eyes, man. I, I, I know I'm saved. But because of my, my, my misunderstanding and my, my, my lack of faith in what God's Word says about me, I've started believing what other people have said about me, what the enemy says about me, what religious people say about me, what, what my kinfolk that don't love the Lord say about me. And that's got me a little off, off course. If that's you and you're here today with your heads bowed and eyes closed and you recognize I need to get back on course because of who I am in Christ, can I pray for you? I don't want to embarrass you, but as your pastor, I want to know how to pray for you. If you'd raise your hand and say, Jay, that's me. I want, I want to get back on course. I want to